afternoon. So I will warn you, if you are sitting in that region, there's going to be some things that you won't see here. So just to be aware of that. And uh, thanks, Andrew. <clears throat> yeah. Why is my voice so different to yours, Andrew? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, get rid of that. So uh, welcome, especially if you're, if you're new or visiting. Um, we, we, we do things differently around here uh, to normal, not because we're trying to be weird. Uh, we're, we're trying to be obedient, trying to love people well. And so even we're like during the week, like, you know what, let's just school holidays. We've got families with young ones. It always makes it harder. Um, and so we just like, hey, let's just change it up. Let's give our worship team a rest because they're amazing and yet small and serve faithfully every week. And it's not just, yeah. And again, in a prophetic community, it's not just people that are getting up and playing songs. If all we did was got up and played songs, oh, be a breeze. That'd be fun, like karaoke style. I, I like karaoke. Um, but when you are leading worship in a prophetic community, intercession, warfare, all that sort of stuff, it, it costs you big time. And it's so worth it because everything we do for Jesus is worth it. But, um, but there's a, a cost associated with that. So it's just great that we get to um, have, a, have a bit of rest in that. So, so next week, we'll probably just have a, a worship time for the whole time and prayer and different things. And then, again, share a meal together. So we're, we're community. We love doing that sort of stuff. Um, but again, one of the main reasons why we gather on a Sunday is, uh, is again, the, the corporate dynamic of worship and intercession. Uh, and then when it comes to the teaching, it is to equip you to live in the majority of time that you spend outside of any sort of formal Christian activity, in particular a Sunday gathering, okay? So you spend more time not doing these sorts of things, okay? I've actually calculated the time that you spend doing it because that's just how I, how I work. So we all have, who knows, you have 168 hours in a week, every single person. So we all have the same amount of time. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And so if you take out maybe eight hours of sleep per night, you're left with 112 hours in a week. So 112 hours on average maybe. Um, I know it's less for parents of young children or parents of new puppies, um, which I am one. Um, but so you've got 112 hours that you're awake. Okay. If you take the average Sunday um, church service gathering time of an hour and a half, that, that equates to 1.3% of your awake time in your week. 1.3%, that's quite small. So 98.7% of your awake time is spent outside of any sort of formal church gathering. Now you might do a small group or different activities and ministry and all of that sort of stuff. It's still only a very small percentage. So even in planting the church, a big part of why you know, we, we could have started and decided we're just going to do house church, meet different places, do all that sort of stuff. But we felt like there was a significance on uh, the Sunday gathering time for corporate worship and intercession. So God can accomplish so much stuff in that as we are yielded to him, as we participate with him because we are his church, his ecclesia. We are the spiritual governing body that he has established on the earth. If you don't know that stuff, we'll get into that a bit later. Um, but then there's this time of equipping the saints for works of ministry, Ephesians 4.11 talks about. So we spend the majority of our time being ambassadors for the kingdom of God in our everyday lives, everywhere that we go. 
So we want to utilize this time to equip you to live in the majority of time that you spend out of this. So we're not trying to train you so you can be pastors one day or anything like that. Majority of you won't be. The majority, you might not be in any form of formal church leadership, and I'm so okay with that because you are a leader wherever you are, whatever sphere of influence God gives to you, He has apportioned that to you and He has positioned you to be an ambassador for His kingdom wherever you are. In whatever realm you might be, wherever you work, that is your place of ministry. Wherever you live, that is your place of ministry. Every part of your life is ministry to Jesus. But again, sometimes I think we can lose sight of that. We don't quite, you know, we don't, we haven't been trained to live in that kind of mentality. Oftentimes we've been taught that ministry is kind of what you do in the church and, you know, well, it's mission when you're out there. But for me, it's like, it's all ministry. It's all for the glory of Jesus. So we've been, um, I've taught like a, a little while ago about this shift that God is bringing us into operating as his ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church. And it means a governing body. It was a a secular word that Jesus borrowed from Roman culture, but that was like a a council of people that dealt with, um, you know, governing kind of things in a particular area. So Jesus borrows this word and he says, you will be my spiritual governing body on the earth, my church. So that is part of the role of the church is not just to you know, get people saved and do that sort of stuff and do activities and, and care for things. It's actually to spiritually govern whatever sphere of influence God gives to us. So it's a lot about warfare. It's a lot about intercession. It's a lot about, and again, there's practical ministry that flows out of that, but God has bringing us into this corporate uh, realm. And so, here, just so I can use the whiteboard. So, I think there's three um, particular uh, realms of identity that Jesus calls us into when we become a Christian. So the first is, is the personal. And I think this is the one that we are probably most um, accustomed to because it's the one that gets taught the most is personal salvation. So when you become a Christian, Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior. That's the gospel that will be preached to you. You say, you're saying yes to Jesus. So Jesus has saved me, I have become a Christian. Okay. So that's one realm. And so when you become a Christian, your whole identity shifts. All of a sudden you go from being a sinner to being a saint. You go from being a member of the kingdom of darkness and you come into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. All of these identity shifts happen in your life, okay? Um, and there's a whole multitude. Your identity in Christ so important that you understand who you are in Christ, okay? And there's a numerous, countless scriptures on that. There is also then the realm of the family of God or the household of God. So again, when, you, when God says, you have become my child, we become a child of God, they were also invited into his family. We're adopted into the family of God. So you're not just a personal individual off on your own, but you're adopted into God's spiritual family. Okay? So that's, and again, I'll, I'll, I've got some scriptures here for you. Oh, even, there's even Bible to back up what I'm saying. Whew, it's amazing. Finally, I've been able to find some of my theology in the Bible. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm sorry. I don't know. No, I don't apologize. I'm not sorry at all. I'm hilarious. <laughs> See? 
All right, John chapter one, verse 12, we have here. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Amen. You are a child of God. But then we have the family of God. And so this again, this, I, I, just, I just like Greek words because it makes you seem smart. Uh, idios is, is the realm for kind of the personal identity. Um, oikos is the word for family or household. So when you see the word household, generally as it's translated in English, it is the Greek word for, of oikos. So it says Ephesians 2.19, says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, the oikos of God, the family of God. Galatians 6.10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we belong to the household of God. And then we have this third, I guess, place of identity and that is church or The word ecclesia. Okay, so again, we might look at you know more personal or church or and, and mixing these two together. I think it's important to understand and to create a distinction um, because they are languaged differently in the Bible. But if we confuse the church with family or family with the church, then I think we lose some of the um, significance of the role of us as the church of God. Okay, so um, we, we, might, we might get the personal thing and then we go, oh, I don't know about family. Okay, that's a new revelation and we get to understand family. But then there's also this movement into the church of God. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, it says, uh, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. But there's this reality of being an ambassador for Christ. So Christ is the king that as an ambassador would be from one nation to another nation, that we are ambassadors of his kingdom. So in this realm, we belong to Jesus. In this realm of identity, we have been adopted into his family. And in this area, we rule and reign with him as a royal family administering his government on the earth. So I am a child of God who belongs to the family of God and that family is a royal family. And that royal family rules and reigns on the earth. Now again, as I taught on a few weeks ago, you can go back and watch my other sermons. It's not about domination, but it's dominion. It's ruling and reigning, it's, it's servitude, it's, it's love, it's all of that sort of stuff. It's not control. If you hear the word, oh, dominion, it's, that's just, kingdom is the king's domain, okay? Um, it's not about control, it's not overthrowing governments, it's not doing any of that sort of stuff. And as again, Go back to watch the other sermons. Jesus didn't do that. He even taught his disciples, the kingdom that I've come to bring is not like earthly kingdoms. They were expecting it to be an earthly kingdom. They were expecting an overthrow of the earthly government, but Jesus is like, my, my kingdom's not of this world. Okay, so we are personal, we belong to family, and then we operate 
in a, in a spiritual governing sense. Now again, if we lose any of these, then we cease to function as the overarching people of God. If we just get, okay, I get, I get family, I'm, I'm really good at doing family, but I don't really have a personal relationship with Jesus. Or you know what, I get warfare and I do all that sort of stuff, but oh, family and interaction and you know, all that sort of stuff, I'm, I'm out of that. So it's important that we understand these three have to be operating for us to be fully healthy and holistic as the people of God. As we've been processing, as we've going going through this kind of reset season, I think what we've started to um, to recognize is that probably out of those three areas, this is the one that we've spent a lot of time working really, really hard on and investing into. That is building family. Now, part of building family is also building healthy people, but knowing how, how do we do family relationship. You know, we used to teach so often on just interpersonal relationship stuff and people might ask the question, why are you talking about that? Because that's what keeps family together. That's what makes family healthy. And it's not just, okay, well, because we want, we love family. So let's just be nice and do family together. It's, it's an imperative because the family of God is a reflection of the nature of God. So I call, it's, it's what we, you would call an apologetic of the gospel. It's a way that um, God is expressed to the world is through family and through how we love one another. So you know the scripture. Um, people will, Jesus said, people will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Okay. People will know that you are my disciple. So what's a disciple is one who looks like Jesus by the way that you love one another. That's in family. But who will know? People will know. Those in the world who we are on mission to will know that you belong to Jesus by the way that you love one another. The world will know. So it means then, number one, I have to be a disciple of Jesus, okay? And I have to learn to love one another in the household of God. But I also have to do that in the presence of other people. But that's some, sometimes the simplicity of our journey with Jesus it's not about being spectacular and doing amazing things and knowing how to preach an awesome sermon or any of that sort of stuff. It's actually just loving Jesus, loving his family, and loving the world. It's really simple. I like to sum up the, the whole of the Christian life in four values, which would be love God, love others, make disciples, and bring the kingdom of God. Anyone read my writing? So this is the great commandment, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. The great commission, go and make disciples of all nations and the Lord's prayer. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I feel like we're, we've done this season of really focusing on and developing this idea of, of family, okay? But where as we've continued to journey on and, and we feel this sense of God pushing us, okay, now it's time to start operating more. Uh, we have been, but more in that realm of governance, okay? Spiritual governance and operating as the church in that way. What we've identified in that process is maybe where some need more help on the journey of developing actually their personal relationship with Jesus. So it's almost that we have to go back 
before we can go forward. Now again, when God speaks to us, it's like, well, Lord, our, our job is to be obedient to what you're calling us into. So we know you've set the, the way forward for us, but in order to do that, we need to go back to some of the basics, some of the beginning points of our journey. In, in a family context, when you have mothers and fathers, then you're able to behave like a child and maybe some of your childish ways get kind of covered over by someone else's maturity. So you can rely and you can lean on and you can lean on someone else's faith journey, you can lean on someone else's passion, you can lean on someone else's understanding, you can lean on someone else's wisdom, you can lean into other people's worship, you can uh, drink from the atmosphere of what happens when we gather together. Okay? Now all of those things are a blessing and they're a gift and we don't despise that. That's why for me sometimes, like I love coming along because sometimes you just, you can be in a low point and you come together with with family and, and God lifts you up. It's awesome, it's amazing. That's still a choice. You can be, doesn't mean that you're immature because you're reliant or you're interdependent on other people. That's, that's called being a Christian. Um, but you're also not in this place of complete dependency upon the church. We're supposed to be dependent upon Jesus. Then we, then we are interdependent with his family. And so in this identification, we're like, okay, Lord, you, we, you need to, we need to come back to some of these basics of just what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a personal disciple of his, and to understand what that means. Basically, it's me and it's Jesus. What happens um, sometimes, you know, when global pandemics hit, um, they can become a revealer for people. It reveals where they are with God because all of a sudden I don't have you know, the corporate family to, to rely on. I don't have these weekly activities that were almost a, a buttress for my faith that kind of kept me going. All of a sudden I can't rely on other people as much. So then it's, it's, it leaves me with, well, who am I with Jesus on my own? What if I could never meet together with people again? Would me and Jesus still be strong? Or does some of my kind of faith journeys start to dissipate and I go, actually, I'm not sure I know him. I know him through other people. I, I love that person's passion and their faith and, and I really appreciate you know, receiving wisdom from, from this person because they hear from God and I get to hear from them. But then I realise maybe I don't hear from God myself. And so again, that's, that's a blessing of family is that we get to, to love and support one another. That's the whole reality of prophetic ministry. Are you a child of God? Are you one of his sheep? Can you hear his voice? Absolutely you can. But is there also this push and, and, and encouragement from Paul that everyone would prophesy? Well, that means that I'm gonna hear from God for your sake, on behalf of you. So again, it's, it's even woven into the spiritual dynamics of Christian family is this interdependence that maybe there'll be times I won't hear from myself and I'll need to lean into someone else and they'll get a word for me and they'll, be, they'll hear on, from God on my behalf. But if I'm living my Christian journey only relying on someone else to hear for me, only relying on someone else's wisdom, then I've lost this part of my relationship with Jesus and this is the most important part. If you don't get this part, you can't do this well. And if you don't do this well, then we can't do this well. So again, I, love, I just love to think of this, that we are a royal family, so we are part of the kingdom. But God has called us to rule and reign with Christ. 
I don't know if that, does that sound at all like arrogant to you? It's just, it's a bit of a struggle for me because I'm like, really? But I'm like pitiful, worthless sinner, Jesus, and you're perfect, righteous king, and you want me to come and reign with you? But thankfully for me, I've done the journey where God has brought me out of that and he's you know, confirmed time and time again, no, your identity is being changed. You are a new creation and I've called you into this place of ruling and reigning with me. What that means is that then I have to start to take responsibility for my life <laughs> and just can't go living my own ways anymore, but to live in his ways. So we get back to the basics of being a disciple of Jesus. Um, these topics, and there's, there's a few weeks, there's probably years worth of stuff. I could, I could teach on this stuff probably every week for the rest of my life. Um, so I just get really excited about this. I will try not to talk too long, but I'm not gonna apologize if I talk for a long time because I love it. Um, but this is sort of stuff, this is foundational dynamics that if we miss these things, then we end up doing a whole lot of activity that doesn't produce the right kind of fruit. We get caught up, we can get caught up doing so much Christian activity. And it kind of is, it's, well, it's good stuff, so you can't argue with it. You can't say it's bad or it's evil, but it's not necessarily what God would have, and it doesn't necessarily have the lasting fruit. But it's the character of Christ formed in every individual then that being expressed in the family of God and then operating governmentally. Again, I think uh, um, family and church, you know, that kind of language, it's very normal language in our culture. It's probably, it's like a draw card for people. Hey, come and be family. I mean, you can listen to Christian radio, 98.5. We're family, you know. I don't know how they're family, but they're family. Um, but, you know, it's something that we've drawn to. Ooh, family, I like family. Yeah, I mean, some people hate family, but... A lot of people like family. They like the, this, the vibe of family, you know? Maybe because they can, well, I can trade in my family. I can have that family. And um, not me, I love my family. I'm not, I'm not saying anything like that. Um, but I think sometimes it's almost, it can be family where we just, we're just drawing people in and having lots and lots of children. Um, we're not necessarily focusing on those children coming into maturity and becoming parents themselves one day. Um, we're not necessarily focused as well on them children coming into maturity and then expanding the reach and the influence of the king and his kingdom. Um, but we get caught, so we just build family, and we build family, we do lots around building family, getting people in and doing that sort of stuff. Now again, is it bad for people to get saved? No, it's not. Is it bad for the church to grow numerically? No, it's not. It becomes unhealthy though, when this isn't a priority, and this isn't a priority. If that's the only thing that we're doing, then we're, then we're lacking hugely. And we won't have the impact that I believe Jesus died on the cross for. His kingdom won't come and his will won't be done. Some people will get saved and one day they'll go to heaven. That's good. Can't argue with that. It's not a bad thing. But will he get all the glory? Will his kingdom come? Will his will be done? And will people mature into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? No, so we need to have, again, all of these things. So again, I'm saying we haven't got it right. We haven't stumbled onto some new fandangled way. This is, this is not progressive church, okay? This is regressive. So if you came along, man, these paradox, ooh, what a name, it sounds like such a progressive name. We are, we are super regressive, 
okay? We're going back to basics. We're going back. We just want to do the simple obedience to Jesus. That's it, you know? So, yep. It's energy drink. <laughs> I put it in a coffee cup. It's just more, it's more acceptable to Christians, I think. Coffee? Christian crack. All right. So we're going back to disciples. So what is a disciple? Put up your hand if you know what a disciple is. No one's brave enough. <laughs> so he's like, oh, mm. oh, look at that. I was just pointing at those lights. Oh, that's fantastic. So, yeah. Well, a disciple is a follower of another, okay? So in the context, in Jesus' context, a disciple was a follower of a rabbi, so a teacher, and they were a Jewish teacher, and a disciple would be one who would give their whole life to follow and become like the rabbi that they're following, their teacher. So in the Christian context, we understand a disciple is a follower of Jesus, an emulator of Jesus, and the whole premise of being a disciple is I'm going to become like the one that I'm following. It's not just, oh, cool, some teaching, cool, I'll take that, take a bit of that, and I'll be on my way. It's my whole life is consumed by becoming like you. So when Jesus called the disciples, you notice he called people that had already failed disciple school. So you knew like around, probably around the age of 12, like that's when you were like, primed, ready, and someone would, you know, potentially call you or get you on that journey to becoming a, a disciple of a rabbi. But these guys, they had passed that place. They're off, they're working just their jobs, fishermen, tax collectors, doing their own thing. They are not the cream of the disciple crop by any means whatsoever. They failed disciple school. They've moved on. They're like, not going to be a disciple. I'll just go and do that. Because it was an honor to be called a disciple to be invited into that relationship. So Jesus comes along and he, he just grabs these kind of random dudes and uh, says, hey, come and, come and follow me. So you'll notice a weird thing though, that they understood in that culture, when a rabbi calls you to follow, you drop everything. They were literally like pulling in fish, come follow me. That's Jesus, he's, he's a rabbi, okay, I'm there. Job gone, fish stuck in the net, you know, like people's taxes didn't get collected that day maybe, because Matthew's just like, oh, I'm out, you know? Yeah, anyway, uh, you know, so they just leave what they're doing and go and follow him. Like, there's no real question. It was such an honor to be invited into that place. Um, but that's what it was. And so they said, cool, now you, Jesus, I'm gonna be just like you one day. So I'm gonna listen to your teaching. That's when we talk about, yeah, that's that scripture. Um, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We can often think of a yoke like in the... Um, oxen carrying stuff. In that context, that's not the yoke that Jesus is speaking of. The yoke, a yoke for a rabbi was the rabbi's teaching. So when he says, my yoke is easy, it means my teachings are easy to comprehend. And really it is. I mean, the Bible can be complicated, but Jesus keeps it pretty simple. Love me. Love other people. Go and make disciples and see my kingdom come and my will be done. So that's why I like to, I'm the kind of person, I love to boil it down to simplicity. <laughs> like keep it simple. Because then it's graspable, it's communicatable, keep it simple. Now, life is complicated, but we need to sometimes just boil stuff down to the, to the simple things. So he calls these people to follow him and they're going after Jesus now in every way. 
Now again, it's not just something where um, I'm just gonna learn the words that he says. Um, when we become a disciple of Jesus, it's about being like him. It is being, doing, and telling. So it's to be like him. Now this is the, the radical, amazing part of the transformation of the individual. I love this. Jesus is not about behavior modification. He doesn't want you to change your behavior. He wants to transform your heart. When your heart is transformed, then your behavior is naturally transformed. Because my behavior is gonna come out of that place of my desire. Where did my desire reside? It's in, that's internal realities. So when my heart is changed, then my behavior naturally changes, but he cares about our being. So I am to be like Jesus. We are being transformed into his likeness. Amen? We are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So part of our journey, again, it's not just to be a good Christian and not to attend different Christian activities. It's actually be transformed into his likeness. We are to be like Jesus. And then he calls us to go and do his works. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, love, serve, give, release his shalom, peace, all of that kind of crazy, radical, awesome stuff. He calls us then to do. So it's not just about, well, I'm just, I'm just gonna worry about me. Okay, I'm just gonna look at, I'm just gonna try and be the best person that I can. But, he's like, oh, but there's also a doing aspect to it as well. It's not just being him in your nature, it's actually seeing that flow out into all of your behavior. But we don't want behavior without nature because that's called hypocrisy, okay? But then, and then there's also the reality of telling other people about Jesus, putting a language to why you are the way that you are. I'm not a nice person because of me. I'm nicer today than I was a year ago because of Jesus. I'm more generous today than I was five years ago because of Jesus. So there's a telling dynamic too that they were always proclaiming the goodness of Jesus. We're always telling people about Jesus because he is so awesome, so amazing. So you can't be a Christian without being a disciple. And you're not a disciple if you're not pursuing being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. You can't be a Christian without being a disciple and you're not a disciple if you're not pursuing being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. So I can't say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? You won't find the word Christian in the language of the Scriptures. That kind of came later on. They called them little Christs. They were, they looked like him. <laughs> They're like, hey, you look like Jesus. Um, yeah, yeah, just little, little versions. I call him mini-me. Um, so to say, well, I'm a Christian, well, so are you a disciple? Well, yes, I'm a disciple. That means you're pursuing becoming like Jesus. Whoa. Pursuing, that means like action, like I'm actively doing something. That is it. But it also means I'm actively pursuing being transformed into his likeness. I'm doing something about it. I'm not waiting for someone else to do something about it. You know, we talked to Amy Shedd last week about our pastoral culture and, and one of the things of, of being in a, in, a, in a culture of family is that we confront one another on things. We point out stuff that we don't see. Some of that wouldn't need to happen if we're on our own journey of pursuit and pursuing righteousness. 
So, so if, you find, if you feel like oh, I'm constantly just being confronted about stuff, then you're welcome to go and look in the mirror. King David, search me, O God, and know my heart. <laughs> Reveal any wickedness within me. He went before the Lord and said, search me, God. Don't like, I just wanna hide in ignorance, Lord, and hopefully no one notices the, the bad stuff. Let's just live in denial and do that sort of stuff. And then someone who sees it has to be the one that comes up and potentially gets all the backlash from saying, hey, by the way, there's some, some stuff there that's not too healthy. But then if that was to happen, then we should say, oh, Thank you for telling me. I'm so glad that you told me where my life is out of alignment with Jesus. Yeah, no, that way that I spoke, that's not the way that Jesus would speak. So I'm, but I'm so glad because my whole life is all about becoming like Jesus. So again, confrontation all of a sudden has a sweetness to it because you're like, oh my gosh, you've just shown me a way. I was stuck in a lie and you've just shown me the truth. Thank you, because we are both working together for me to become more like Jesus. That's what we spend so much of our time, so many countless hours in meetings, fighting for people to, to know what it is to follow Jesus, to know and then to, to reveal, hey, there's just some stuff that's not, you're not seeing here. You're not reflecting Christ. If you look at Jesus and you see something in Him that's not in you, pursue it. If you see something in you that's not in Jesus, crucify it. It's really simple. But again, if we're all on the same page, hey, we're all disciples of Jesus, which means we are all pursuing becoming like Jesus, then anything that is pointed out in your life that's not like Jesus, you should be like, thank you for telling me. I'm so glad. I'm gonna go take that before Jesus. I'm gonna have him transform my heart. I'm gonna get some prayer ministry, whatever it takes. Because we're all, we're all going after the same thing. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Ephesians 5, chapter 1 and 2, verse 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. There we go. We got there in the end. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for what you did. What do you want me to do, Jesus? I want you to do the same. Oh man, that sounds costly. That sounds like death. Yes, but in the kingdom, life always comes on the other side of death. Jesus isn't interested in killing you. He's interested in resurrecting the new you, which involves, you can't have a resurrection without a crucifixion. Well, I just wanna live in the resurrection life, then get on, climb up on that cross and die. <laughs> but there's, again, as Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him, that's, that's our reality. It's like, well, this is gonna hurt, but the resurrection on the other side is gonna be so much more glorious. Confessing this is gonna hurt, but the other side of, of righteousness is gonna be so much more glorious. Yeah, going through that process and, and dealing with my heart is gonna be hard, Lord, but on the other side, the joy that's gonna come is gonna be so much more worth it. So our discipleship with God is a lifelong journey. It's not a two-week course. It's not a, you know, you can't just do alpha and then say, oh, cool, I've, I've done my discipleship now. And that's just the basics, like foundational, some, some foundational elements of what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus. But then it's the walking it out day by day. 
And this is where, again, when we shift out of um, this personal dynamic and we become children of God and he becomes our Lord, then there's a lot of things that start to shift. I'm gonna have to erase the board. Talk amongst yourselves. Do, do, do. All right. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the pervasiveness of the Lordship of Christ. How Jesus is immersed in every area of our lives. Okay. So this is one way to look at our lives. And that is, this is me. And in my life, I have a whole lot of responsibilities, okay? So that might be work, um, rest, play, <laughs> Mars bars. Um, um, so what else have I got here? Family. Yep, so then like church or ministry or, you know, um, personal time with Jesus, all that sort of stuff. So we, we look at, um, you know, money, what do I do with, you know, finances, all this sort of stuff. And so what happens is, in, in my life, there's a whole lot of things that I am responsible for, and I've got to, you know, allocate time and, and resource and all this sort of stuff to, to, to cover those areas, okay? But what happens is we start to kind of put this thing into like a bit of a, that's the Jesus kind of box of my life. And so Jesus gets, you know, some of my time and my energy and my effort and all of those sorts of things. But when I become a Christian, now all of a sudden, on top of all of these other responsibilities, I've got this kind of Jesus responsibility that's been added to my life. So, well, how am I going to find time to, to do that? Oh, I can get, I get the personal thing because I can kind of fit that in on the way to work in the car, you know. I can, I can find five minutes at the end of the day to say a quick kind of prayer. Look, I could probably do maybe fortnightly on a Sunday, I could give the energy and effort to, to do the Jesus thing, but I'm not, I can't give my whole life to Jesus because I've got a family to take care of. Does he not know that? Like, does he not understand that? Like, I've, I also need to have fun in my life. I'm not gonna rule my whole life not having any fun. I've got to go to work, you know, 37 and a half hours in a week. You know, I've got, how am I gonna fit this all in? So then really it becomes, well, whatever I have there will be kind of determined by, you know, how much time and energy I really have to, to do that. And maybe how passionate I am, um, all of that sort of stuff. So Jesus is a part of our life. He's a little piece of the pie, if you like. Okay, so that's one way, and I'm just gonna say, it's possibly, maybe you might view life in that way. It's not abnormal to think of life in that way. Another way to look at life is that Jesus is in the center, and everything else is informed by him. Rest, employed, family, and then we can say, ministry, money, all of that sort of stuff. So in this thing, see Jesus on the cross and I'm not in the center of my life. <gasps> okay, because I'm not worshiping myself, 
I'm worshiping Jesus. So he becomes the center of my life and Jesus then starts to inform everything that I do. And I wanna tell you, Jesus has something to say about every single aspect of your life. Everything. He has something to say. Now, again, when we get stuck in, in our paradigm of um, kind of Christendom, um, that we start to then think, well, okay, so he's gonna just Christianize everything in my life. No, <laughs> he's just gonna be Lord of every area of your life, okay? Um, so this is not about saying, okay, my play, well, I guess then my play is gonna be, I have to be reading my Bible. That's the only way I'm allowed, you know, and, and work. Well, I guess I've got to, if Jesus is Lord, then I probably have to go work for the church then and, uh, and you know, um, my, my family time, well, I have to sacrifice that because I've got to serve in ministry and do these sorts of things and none of that sort of stuff. It just says, well, what does Jesus say about how to lead my family? How does he inform that? Is Jesus Lord of my family or is that my responsibility? No, when I become a child of God, when I'm invited into his family, my family becomes Jesus' responsibility and I'm a steward of what is his, okay? Same with my money. This is often something we talk about, you know, with tithing. We are a tithing church. We don't take up an offering every week because in my opinion, to do so would be to treat you like an infant, you should be responsible enough to know how and be informed by Jesus to what to do with your money. If I have to tell you every week, there's something wrong with you, yeah? Because you're not, you know, it's kind of weird, but I just know it's important in the church because we need money. So then people, they teach every week, but I'm kind of like, that's kind of weird. That's the one thing that we teach people every single week. We've got to give them a new teaching about money because they didn't get it the last 51 weeks of the year. <laughs> they haven't learned yet how to manage their finances well with Jesus, okay? So I'm like, you want to, we, we'll teach on it sometimes, but that's a discipleship journey to know that, okay? But anyway, side note, freebie, uh, what we sometimes think, well, this is God's and the 90% is mine, okay? You might think that, well, I give my 10% to God and I keep the other 90%. Wrong, in my opinion, <clears throat> 100% is God's. 100% of my money is God's, okay? Now what do I do is I take 10% and I give that to the church and they steward that 10% on behalf of God. And the 90% I steward on behalf of God. So nothing belongs to me anymore because I gave my life away. I was crucified with Christ. I'm a new creature. Creature, creation, creature, creature, creation. But it's just a kind of another principle there where we start to say, we segment out our life. We say, which part's God's and which part's mine? It's like, it's all His. And I'm simply a steward then. So my workplace, well, what does God have to say about not just where I work, but how I live in the midst of my workplace? That is your primary place for most people. That would be your primary place of ministry and mission for God. Same thing. That's where you're gonna be planted to bring the kingdom of God, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a member of his family and to be an ambassador for the kingdom is in that place. But what we do is when we segment out our life and we go, oh, well, I've got this little ministry bubble that I do at a particular time during the week at a particular place, ministry done tick. Whereas in this understanding, which I think is a more biblical understanding, everything is ministry. I minister to my family, I minister to my work colleagues, I minister to random people, strangers in the street. And again, I'm not talking about necessarily like preaching at them. 
might just be loving them, serving them, being generous, being kind. Like I was, there was a couple of kids at a, one of those skill tester machines at the shop and they were like looking up and I could, I could just tell by looking at them, not as a judgment, that these kids, you know, they probably didn't have the money to do that. I was just waiting for the mum. And, and, I, I mean, and I think, again, when the kids are that young and they're kind of left alone you know, in the shop, I just know, I know the community that I live in. So, I'm just, so I just walk up, they're kind of playing it, and I just tap my phone on and give them a, th- there you go, kids, and let them go. But just little stuff like that, just to love on some little kids who probably would never be given that opportunity just to play on a game, which my kids do all the time. And, you know, well, they don't when I tell them, like, <laughs> I said to one of my kids, they're like, can I spend my $5 on that? I'm like, sure. Or I can take your $5 and put it in the bin because um, that's pretty much what's going to happen. So, um, but they insisted and they didn't win and lesson learned. Yep. <laughs> um, so do you see there's that difference where Jesus informs everything? This is where Jesus is Lord. So this is where Jesus is part of my life. And this one, Jesus, is my life. Everything becomes sacred. In this realm, we have like sacred activities and secular activities. In this, everything is sacred. Everything is informed by God. Everything is holy. Everything is a pursuit of righteousness. This is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Well, if we take those scriptures literally, because they are like that spiritually, I've been crucified. I don't live anymore. Do you understand when you got baptized in water, you were, you were going down into the grave. You were symbolically coming into agreement with the finished work of Christ, you're simply going into the grave and being resurrected into your new life. Paul talks about that. But that's what he's saying. It's, not like it's, it's all Jesus. I gave the lordship of my life over to him and said, you be Lord. Everything is informed by Jesus. And you know what? Christianity is designed for everyday life. It is. It's just woven through every part of your life. But I think sometimes, and maybe how we've been taught and as generations that have gone before us, we've had this kind of compartmentalized view of of church and ministry and life and all of that sort of stuff. I'm saying, no, it's every part. He informs every part. If If he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. If Jesus isn't Lord of all of your life, then he isn't Lord of any of it. He can't, he's not gonna take second place. He has way too much (laughs) self-value. He's God, he's holy, he knows where he belongs and he won't allow himself because it would be unrighteous, which would be anti-God for him to be positioned anywhere else in your life. And as I've said before, we can choose to not live as though Jesus is Lord and what we miss out on is all the benefits of his Lordship. We kind of, we get this half, like we're calling him Lord, but we're not living in that way. So we don't get any of the benefits of his lordship. We don't get his covering and his blessing and his righteousness and his growth and his peace, all of that. All the fruit of the kingdom doesn't start to manifest in my life. So you might find if you're living in this kind of way and you're not experiencing righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, you're not experiencing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control, it might be because you've, 
put him in a box. And he's like, sorry, I'm not gonna be in that box. You want me to be Lord, then everything that is with me comes with me and you get access to. Jesus is the ruler and the Lord over every aspect of our lives. A significant part of being a disciple of Jesus is to be obedient to him. This is the great commission. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So that's immersing them into Trinitarian community. It's not dunking them in water. It's baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Okay, not teaching people everything I've commanded. I've shown there's a Francis Chan video where I played at the core leaders meeting where he, he uses this example of um, saying to his daughter, can you go clean your room? So she goes off and then comes back and she's like, yes, dad, did you clean your room? Well, I memorized what you said. You said, clean my room, okay? And uh, now I'm gonna go away and get my friends over and we're gonna have a study around what it means to clean my room, what it would look like. And he goes on this whole rant. But that's oftentimes what we do. Neil Cole is a um, writer of a bunch of books, one of them, Organic Church. But he says the church of today is educated beyond its obedience. We know way more than what we do. And the danger of that, you might thought, well, that's good, we know a lot. But if we, if we know and we don't do, what does Jesus call us? Fools. He says, if you hear my words and you obey them, then you're a wise builder who builds his house on the rock. That's Jesus. And the, the rain and the storms come and you stay upright. If you hear my words and you don't obey them, you're a fool. You're like a fool who builds a house in the sand. The wind comes, the rain, the storms, and everything gets demolished. So obedience is super important to Jesus, which means it should be super important to us. So when we open the Bible, we read the Bible, if there's a command to obey, then we ought to put that into practice in our lives because then we'll receive the fruit and the benefit of it, but we'll also be honouring him by how we live our lives. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the realm of the heaven's kingdom. It is only those who persist, persist in doing the will of my heavenly Father. The grace gospel message that has permeated culture over the last generation or so, in my opinion, has, has destroyed discipleship culture. One of many things but I think it's wiped it out because we've, number one, we've misunderstood what grace is, but then we've applied that to say, cool, everything is covered, everything is done, and I need not do anything because the grace of God covers it. Whereas the, that's the, the mercy of God covers your sin, the grace of God empowers your righteousness. So if you say, I'm under the grace of God, then you'll be running flat out in righteousness because that's what the grace of God does. It empowers us to run to be the very person that Christ has called us to be, just like Him. And yet we've understood it in this way that's kind of um, pacified the church. So well, I kind of, I guess so, but I don't really need to. Oh, praise the Lord for, for His grace. I'm so thankful for His grace because it's got me out of this hole of sin that I'm stuck in. Well, it hasn't. You're just there and you've just put a blanket over your head and called it grace. If the grace of God was there, you wouldn't be in that hole anymore because it would have empowered you to climb your way out. In my opinion. <laughs> so you can't, you can't get offended with me because that's, well, it's my opinion. You can, you can read that in the Bible yourselves.
If you read Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the realm of my kingdom. It is only those who persist in doing the will of my heavenly Father. If that doesn't fill you with a holy fear of God, I would just encourage you to, to check your conscience with the Lord because that should, that should shock you to go, oh, hold on a second. I thought it was just done. I didn't need to do anything. Well, there's a whole lot of doing that Jesus talks about in the Bible. Whole lot of doing. You can't take his place on the cross, but you better believe that he has an expectation that you will walk it out in your life. The call to be a disciple. We think, yeah, cool. Oh, if, imagine if Jesus came through. Hey, would you like to be a disciple? Sure, Jesus. Um, I'll just check my calendar. Um, I've got like... Tuesday afternoons, maybe like five to six, I can give you then. Um, and probably again, yeah, maybe five minutes before bedtime each night, just maybe not on Saturday night because I've got a party on. Um, yeah, and then, I don't know if I could do every Sunday. Maybe like fortnightly on a Sunday I can give you. Do you know what Jesus would say? You're not fit to be my disciple. I believe that's what he'd say. I feel like that's what he'd say to me. If I came back to him with that attitude, because that's what he said to people. We make the doorway so wide open. Yeah, it doesn't matter, just come and just pray this prayer and you're in. It's not what Jesus did. He said, come and be my disciple, come and follow me. And they said, oh, I will Jesus, I just need to bury my father. And what does Jesus say? You're not fit to be my disciple. Let the dead bury the dead. Okay, they're confronting scriptures, yeah? I'm not trying to gloss over these things like that. It's, oh, easy. I'm sure there's deep revelation and stuff in it, but the, some of the simplicity of what Jesus says is like, man, this is going to cost you. He even says, no one goes and builds a house without first, like, kind of, what is this going to cost me? But we don't, we, we've removed all of the costs of Christianity. We said, you don't need to do it. Just pray a prayer. Pray a prayer that's not in the Bible, but pray this prayer because we've discovered this way of doing things that avoids all sense of responsibility, all costs for your future, and you'll get to go to heaven one day. It's not the gospel that Jesus preached. It's not the way that Jesus set forth. It's not the cost that Jesus has put on your life. We've been, we've, like this is the danger, we've been hoodwinked. The church has been... Um, the church has been, yeah, castrated was the word that came to mind. But like it's just, it's just been robbed of so much power, so much authority. We are not operating as the church, the ecclesia of God. None of that is happening. The world, the culture of the world is dominating. It's dominating. We, we're, we're losing the war for culture. The church is anemic and weak and pathetic in so many ways. And I say that as someone who loves the church and that's why we're here. It's like, that's why we're, we're willing to count the cost. And even if it means preaching sermons that people don't like because <laughs> it confronts our comfort, but it's like, but this is what, it, surely this is what it looks like to be faithful to him. And surely this is the way that is going to actually bring genuine transformation to culture that's gonna get him the prize that he died for. It's gonna cost us. Now again, I'm not saying then, oh, quit your job and come and work you know, 24 hours a day in the church. It's, it's, I'm not saying that. I'm saying take whatever sphere of influence you have and put it under the Lordship of Jesus and wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, what do you have for me to do today? 
how, how is your kingdom going to come today, Jesus? How are you going to transform my heart today, Jesus? How can I love well today, Jesus? And just be yielded to him. It's really simple. But it will cost you everything. Just like it costs Jesus everything. But if it costs him everything, don't expect that it's going to cost you nothing. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. That's you and I. That's his expectation that we'd be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Romans 8, oh, goes on, what's this? Matthew, no, where am I going? That's Romans 8, 29 as well. Oh, this is a different version. Ha <laughs> passion translation. It says, for he knew all about us before we were born and destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Amen. But this discipleship journey is not just about, um, you know, oh, go and do this, it's show me how to do it. Jesus showed the disciples how to live in the way that they were supposed to live. So for you and I, we are not just disciples of Jesus, but we are called to be disciple makers. But that means that we journey with people and we show them how to live in the ways of God. We show them how to walk with Jesus. We show them how to, how to pray. Like we, we teach them, we journey with people on that discipleship journey. Journey, journey, journey. So why should we make disciples? Well, it's a command. That's a pretty good reason. It wasn't a suggestion. Jesus wasn't saying, oh look, if you get bored, if you get some time, um, would you mind going out and making disciples of all nations? Just, if you don't mind. It's a command. So as a disciple, I'm, that's what I'm commanded to do, to go and make disciples. And now again, I'm not just, I'm not gonna make disciples of me, I'm gonna make disciples of Jesus. So again, pointing people to Jesus. But it means if I don't have a strong vibrant personal relationship with Jesus, then I can't teach someone to have a relationship with someone who I don't have a relationship with. So again, we're coming back to this simple premise of us being disciples of Jesus and learning. And when I say all of that, this is not just here, go and do it. We're gonna journey you, this whole community through that. Now you might be, man, I have a vibrant, passionate, awesome, amazing relationship with Jesus. It's like awesome. Then you will get to help other people on that journey. Okay, so we're not saying this is not to um, uh, condescend or anything like that. Like people aren't doing that. I'm sure. Sure, um, maybe all of us are. But if if to give us some um, principles that we can apply, some tools, and we can take that as we go out and make. Because maybe you're saying, I am on fire for Jesus, and then my question would be, and who are you discipling? Um, and they just said, nobody. And they said, well, then we're gonna help you to do that, okay? But in terms of just daily rhythms and weekly rhythms, and we're gonna give you resources and tools as to how to do that, not just because we want you to have a vibrant, life-giving, in-love relationship with Jesus, okay? So don't feel like this is all just gonna be dumped on you. We're all gonna do this journey together because God does that with a family. He takes us all through. So again, we are to make disciples who make disciples. So we need to have a reproducibility of this discipleship process. So again, that's why I love to keep it simple. Give it simple, give it a framework. That might work for some, might not work for others, but the end goal is what we're after. 
okay? So the end game is people being transformed to the likeness of Jesus, belonging to his family, and then as a royal family operating to administer the, the kingdom of God on the earth. All right, I've said a lot, but I don't want to take up all of your afternoon. I will just touch on, um, again, when I had the, the personal, the family, and the corporate, um, and Amy mentioned it a, a, a month or so ago, but uh, the whole the role of spiritual parenting in the, the church kind of family, um, I think we need both. We need disciple-making and we need spiritual parenting. They, they're complementary. Um, but we see this in the Scripture. So Jesus was the rabbi, um, but then Paul was um, like a spiritual father, but they were both working to make disciples of Jesus, okay? Um, but Jesus says, follow me, and the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Um, all right, 1 Thessalonians 1, chapter, uh, verse 4, says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that God has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So again, there is this role of integrity-based relationships. So I'm not gonna teach you to follow a, to follow a God that I don't follow, okay? So there's something even in that discipleship um, kind of journey with people, if I'm to disciple somebody, I'm discipling them to know Jesus and to be a follower of him, but they're also gonna follow and emulate my life because I'm following Jesus. But that can be that role of a spiritual parenting. But if it's all spiritual parenting and not personal relationship discipleship, then we create dependency upon a person rather than dependency upon Christ. Okay, so there's a complementary role there where people, where spiritual parents can encourage and um, exhort and bless and confront and do all of those sorts of things, but it's always pointing people back to Jesus, okay? So it's those two things working together. That's again the role of our life hubs where the, that primary, when we go from as an individual then we connect in with a spiritual family. That's what our life hubs are for. Now again, there's, um, we're doing a journey with life hubs. We're just going, we're just gonna, um, cruise to the end of the year when it comes to life hubs and then re-inform the intentionality of what we're doing there. Because again, well, we've done family well, now it's gonna be transitioning our life hubs as people are on fire for Jesus in their personal lives, participating in the family as a life hub, but then going out and living on mission for Jesus, okay? But even for me, it's like if I know the end game, even of my life hub is, is more than just this little family of people. It's not just, I just love these people. I just, I just love being around them, make me feel so good. But there's actually a greater purpose than that, that your life hub would be a blessing to the world, okay, through all sorts of amazing, creative ways. All right. Any questions? <laughs> um. I understand this is, this is part of kind of reforming Christian culture in a way. Um, I'm not trying to like poo-poo 
our history, other churches, anything like that. I'm just saying, let's, I just, I just feel like for me, I can't give my life to something that I don't have a conviction that is biblically and most true from whatever revelation that I have. So I encourage you, go and search the scriptures yourself. Don't take my word for it, but, but look at the weightiness of Jesus' words and what he calls us to. Um, I, I've got a great teaching on, um, I think, a, a right understanding of the gospel and how that naturally flows into discipleship, um, which I'll bring another time uh, soon. Um, but just to understand this call to conformity to Him, this call to Him being central and Lord over all is so important because we won't actually be able to walk in the fullness of what He has for us individually as a family and as the church bringing His kingdom until we understand that we're yielded to Him in every way. Now again, it's not, I, I wanna make so clear, it's not, we're not asking people to do more ministry or give more time, but again, you know, we talk about, we've got the, the prayer room, which is corporate intercession, okay? It's yieldedness to Him, it's learning as well, it's always equipping as well as behaving, but it's not to say, oh, now I have to do that three times a week because there's an activity happening. It's, no, you, you ask Jesus, Jesus, do you want me to be part of the, or when do you want me to be part of the prayer room? That's probably a better question, but Lord, you, you're calling me to this. He says, I want you to go on this day. Well, Lord, I, I, I've got this thing on this day or I, or I work on that time, Lord. But if you're saying for me to do it, then I know that you'll provide for me. But you see, we get Christian activities and then I go, well, I'll determine based upon how much time I have left over sometimes as to how much I can give. Whereas if I say, no, I'm yielded to you. Jesus, what do you want me to do with my family? I want you to do this. Okay, Lord, then I trust that you'll provide everything I need to, to serve my family in that way, to love my family. How do you want me to rest, Jesus? You want me to rest? Okay, Lord, I, I trust then that you'll provide everything that I need to be obedient to what you've called me to do. Lord, you want me to, hold on, I'm working five days. You want me to work four days, Lord, so I can give a day of my time to serving the poor in some way or doing whatever it might be. Well, Lord, I trust then, if you're calling me to do that, then you're gonna provide for it. But see, that comes out of a deep personal relationship with Jesus where you hear His voice and you have that opportunity to obey. You're not saying, well, I'll just, based upon circumstance, I'll determine how my life goes. If, if life is hard, it doesn't mean that God is telling you to do something different, necessarily. That's a very poor form of prophecy. <clears throat> Because I think the assumption can be, well, God wants me to be comfortable, so therefore anything that's difficult must not be of God. Um, if you know his voice, then even in the midst of difficulty, he'll give you the reason as to why. Um, but don't assume that just because something's hard, that's not God. Because um, God will call you to do hard things. Read the book of Acts. finding joy and suffering and all that sort of fun stuff. So anyway, what a downer of a message. Jeepers. Um, maybe we should pray. And uh, I'm excited because I think this is, to me, like this sort of stuff is like, this is when the church gets to be the church. This is when the bride gets to be the bride. This is when Jesus starts to go, that's what I gave my life for. That's what I gave my life for. For his name to be honoured and glorified in the nations. Nations becoming disciples. That's literally what he says. Go and make disciples of all nations. Man, we struggle to make disciples of a, of a neighborhood. 
let alone, but his call is that you would disciple nations. He's like, man, then we've got to take seriously what we do. And for me, I'm like, we've got to start at the basic level, but see every realm coming fully under the Lordship of Jesus, because then he will break through. That means he can use us to do whatever he wants to do. And I think that's what he's longing for. It's just the people who say yes to him. But we say, we often say no, or we're not even listening to hear his voice. Amen? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, I don't want to shy away from a, from a hard word that you're giving to us, Lord, because we know you are good. And Father, even where this might confront our perspective or our heart attitude, Lord, we know that you discipline those that you love. And Father, there might be some of us here or others that are listening online who say, man, this is, I'm, right, I'm already on the journey running ahead. But wherever we find ourselves in that place, we thank you, Jesus, that you are good. And Lord, whatever change that you're desiring to bring, not only will you bring it about, Lord, but you'll give us the grace that we need. You'll give us the strength that we need to do this journey going forward, Lord. Father, we don't want a comfortable life. That's why you sent the comforter, Jesus, because you knew that we would face hardship in this life. But you've given us, you've literally come and made your home in us, comforter. So we always have access to comfort. And it's not in the fridge. <laughs> it's, not, it's not in a little box mounted to a wall. <laughs> it's not at ebay.com.au. It's the Spirit of God living in us, Lord, that we can have your comfort in the midst of every circumstance, Lord. So we thank you for your provision, God. But Lord, I just pray that you would help us to keep our ear to the ground, Lord. I just hear you saying, keep your ear to the ground to hear the rumbling of the work that you're doing in this nation and the nations, Lord, that you're bringing about a shift, God, and that we would be sensitive to the rumble, Lord. I'm even reminded when I was a kid and we'd put our ear on the train tracks, probably a dangerous thing to do, Lord, but you could hear sometimes the train coming from a distance, Lord. We wanna hear the rumble of what you're doing, Jesus. We wanna stay tuned in, Lord, but as it is a low rumble, God, you're not necessarily gonna come to the popular, Lord. You're not gonna come and make yourself abundantly known. You're gonna come to those who are seeking you out and searching you out. So Father, we wanna keep our ear to the ground that we can hear the rumble of your voice, the sound of your coming, Jesus. We wanna hear the rumble of the footsteps as you're riding in on the horse, Jesus. We wanna hear you coming from a distant, Lord, so that we can prepare the way for you to come, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We yield ourselves, God. We yield ourselves, Jesus. And Father, we, don't posi we position ourselves in the place of humility, God, saying, we have not got this right. <laughs> and Lord, even this way forward, Lord, we're just, we're just trying to be obedient to you, Jesus. And you look at us, Lord, probably like a, you know, when a toddler does a drawing and gives it to the parent, you're like, I'm just, I, just, I delight in your delight. But man, it's, there's way more going on. But I love that you're loving me. I love that you're willing to say yes. Father, you desire our faithfulness. So Lord, we give you our faithfulness, Jesus. And, and Lord, we ask you would help us to be more and more faithful to you every day, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But we receive the call to be disciples, Lord. And we say, yes, Jesus, we'll follow you. We'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And we'll let you transform 
us into your likeness, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Hey, if you, uh, if you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Um, if not, you're welcome to head out. There's dinners in the foyer. Okay. It's two bucks. But if you're visiting, free of charge, just say, I'm visiting here today. Um, and uh, if not, Brett, Brett will get you covered. Yeah, we're all visiting today. Um, but it's not, it's not meant to be a, a, it's just to help kind of cover the costs. If you, um, please look for somebody that you don't know. Say, hey, let's go and have a pie together and, uh, and get to know them and connect. Um, so stay in here if you want uh, some prayer. Head out there if you want a pie. Um, bless you, love you. Uh, stay connected over the holidays with your life hub. Bye-bye.